0: Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Gary Phillips, the architect behind the really fun new pulp novel, Day of the Destroyers. Gary, welcome. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me.
0: This is a fun project. First, the the book itself, or it, this series of stories that all kind of fall together and, and become a novel. It was a lot right. of fun to read. It it was it, it sort of was like reading something that you would see on the screen in a James Bond movie. It was really <laughs> well, fun for well, me. I hope
1: so. <laughs> good well good i I really hope so uh that was certainly the uh i think that was the effort that uh, I was going for and and Joe uh Gentile, who's the uh head of uh, moonstone uh books uh and I were both trying to achieve i think with this effort day of the stories uh, came about uh because of a uh, real uh historical incident this had to do with uh major general uh, Smedley Butler a very uh, highly decorated uh soldier. And uh, he testified in 1934 uh, to a congressional committee that he'd been approached by, uh, shall we say, uh, moneyed uh, interests uh, of the more uh, right-wing variety Mm -hmm. who were displeased with the uh, direction that uh, President uh, uh, Roosevelt, Franklin Delano, Delano Roosevelt was taking the country, and would he be interested, essentially, in uh, backing a coup, in in, uh, training and leading uh, armed armed men to uh, overthrow uh, the United States government? And uh, this has become known as the business plot. And in fact, has been uh, uh, used as a, a plot device in several novels from the past, and even a, uh, uh, a three-part uh, episode of uh, *City of Angels*, which was an '80s uh, uh, TV show about a private eye set in, uh, set in the '30s in L.A. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so this, so this uh, story, possibly apocryphal or possibly not, has existed for some time. And I thought, man, that you know, that's uh, if that's if that's not Pope, I don't know what is. <laughs> and so I use that as a basis then to uh, create uh, Jimmy Flint, uh, secret agent X Eleven of the Intelligence Service Command, and it's set in the Great uh, Depression in the '30s. And he's uh, the essentially the first super spy, and uh, he goes into action to defeat to defeat these forces.
0: And I have to say, as a reader, I love Jimmy Flint. <laughs> <laughs> He's a fun to guy that. to read about. <laughs> so, f- for listeners who might not know what pulp is, can you explain it to us?
1: That's a good. Uh, that's a good question. Hopefully, I can give you a, a, a fairly brief answer, which is to say, pulp came about i mean partly it's a reflection of the uh, the very paper the very cheap paper that it was printed on in the 30s mm-hmm. but because you had to uh for at least a dime and then and then later a quarter you had to fill those those pages with story with content that meant that you had to have a fast delivery you had to have exciting scenes there wasn't a lot of characterization, although even over time that that changed. But essentially, it was a, a fast-moving story, plot twists and turns, and uh, and frankly, then deliver the goods, deliver the exciting climax to the reader. And essentially, that is a, a kind of formula for pulp. Uh, Lester Dent, the man who created uh, Doc Savage, which was. Uh, the number two selling pulp character in the thirties, the mm-hmm. shadow being the, f- uh, the number one selling character. Uh, Lester uh, Dent, you can you can sort of Google or uh, listeners can Google Lester Dent. I think it's his ten rules for writing. Up, yes, that is a uh, fabulous
0: little piece there. That ten ten rules for writing from Lester Dent.
1: Exactly, exactly. And uh, and I guess he used it as a formula for short stories, but it's it really you could expand upon, and or it, it has been expanded upon for the novel as well. But essentially, that's that's kind of pulp what the pulp. Uh, and what we did, I think, in our effort and the other destroyers, while each story doesn't, uh, each story has cliffhangers in it. Each chapter doesn't really necessarily end on a cliffhanger per se, because of course our hero has to be our hero. But it does end on the notion of well, what's going to come next? Uh, what's what? Uh, diabolical forces will be against Jimmy Flint, and can he and uh, some of the some of the uh, guest stars we have from the days of pulp, uh, the Green Llama, the Phantom Detective, and the Black Bat, can they in fact uh, defeat these uh, defeat the Medusa Council? That's
0: our villain in the piece. All right, so so explain to listeners how this all came together because you've got guest stars, you, you've you wrote some of this, uh, some friends of yours wrote some of it. Uh, Paul Bishop, I, I saw was one of the guys who's a, just a phenomenal yeah. pulp writer and he's he's put together some really interesting projects on his own tell us how this whole project yeah, the bike, came together
1: the yes
0: that is that's a cool well, series uh...
1: Yeah, it is it is a great series in fact I owe them a book so one of these days I gotta get around to it. <laughs> uh yeah, Stephen, So essentially uh it came about um it's a longer story but I I'm gonna again encapsulate it. Uh we uh we Moonstone had the rights to a particular licensed uh pulp character. Some of the some of the characters from the thirties have fallen into the public domain. Some of those characters though have the their licenses have been uh, renewed. Doc Savage of the Shadow being too Two good examples of, of uh, characters that are owned by, say, Condi Nast. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we had this particular spy character that we were going to use. And in fact, I had written about the spy character uh, several times for Moonstone under the licensing agreement. Things happen, and, and so anyway, then we were, we got the idea uh, to do this this full blown version with the, with the character. Uh, and uh, and after I pitched it to Joe, Joe said, "Cool, let's do it." We assembled our writing team. I did a kind of mini Bible, etc. And as it happened, as the, literally as the stories were being written, and some of those stories were being edited, things happened, and the, the licenseer uh, plucked the character away. But we had all these great stories, and you know, we didn't want to see them go to waste. What we really just need to do is uh, create a different uh, super spy character, mm-hmm. change around a few things, and other than that, keep keep going. So that so that's really how it all came about. Uh, once we lost the uh, license, we said, "Well, look, we've got some great stories here. We gotta we gotta get this. We gotta see this thing to print," and uh, and we kept going. So really, uh, but it's a testament to that you know the fact that Joe. And Moonstone is a company where it's it's just big enough where we can get the book out there, of course, in, in stores, <laughs> uh-huh. but also not so big that we could make that sea change in the middle of the project.
0: And how do you, as, as the person who was sort of coordinating this effort, how do you make sure that the story arc uh, follows? Because you've got so many different authors putting it all together.
1: That's right. I guess in a certain way, and I suppose to to maybe the the resentment of some of the writers, I did (laughs) apply a a Bit more of a, a bit more of a heavy hand uh, in editing this uh-huh. book than I might have in other books, uh, because as you said, you want to have a certain consistency, of course, in terms of just how the characters described or the characters are described. Because we got, of course, not just uh, Jimmy Flint, we got his uncle uh, Jack Flint, we've got Kyrie uh, uh, Eastland, our, of course, our intrepid uh, girl reporter, and uh, you know and several other uh, other characters who show up in several of the stories. So we want to be have a Consistency, of course, among among those characters, as well as then, as you said, I mean, there's an overarching plot about him defeating uh, the machinations of the of the Medusa Council, and then particularly. But then, I also knew that I was going to be writing that end story where he would ha- finally have that that uh, face down, that showdown with uh, Colonel Lucian Starless, the man who heads uh, the man who heads the, uh, the the Medusa Council. So, in that regard, it helped that, of course, that. It helped it, of course, that the the writers all in the book Paul Bishop, who you mentioned, Jerry Westerson, uh, Ron Fortier, uh, Adam Lance Garcia, etc. You know, are all uh, adept hands at uh, at this at this business, man. So when you got the when I got the stories in, it wasn't a, wasn't so much a question of editing in terms of content per se, but more about. Uh, nuances and adjustments to just make sure that it flowed from story to story.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you said earlier that you, you you wrote the Bible for this, and presumably you sent that out to everybody, the Bible being like character descriptions, things like that, was there also a, a specific plot line that you wanted them to follow for each individual chapter?
1: No, uh, but I, what I did ask them, I told them that the you know, overall plot was about the Medusa Council trying to overthrow... Uh, the United States from within, right? And so given that, mm-hmm. I asked them then for like a paragraph, say, of what they intended to write. And so I got that ahead of time okay. before they start started their stories. So that way we might discuss a little bit about some, uh, some tweaking, some fine-tuning to the, to that plot line. Uh, and then as I said, as the stories came in and then I started to figure out what's the order of stories, sometimes I would go back in, and of course we'd always show the writers what we did. It's not like we, we did this blind, uh, uh, I might go back in and put in a sentence or two to say um, one of the stories, Tommy Hancock's story is set in Arkansas. And so I might, uh, in the story following that one, I might mention that um, Flint had just driven in from Arkansas or somewhere in the context of that story, just so you could get a better uh, a better link between story to story so they weren't disjointed, So it did seem that, they, that, that one flowed from the other.
0: Yeah. Okay, I got you. I got you. Yeah, All right. Yeah, now, yeah. now, now let me uh, let's ask about you. Gary Phillips, you you write a lot of pulp, you write a lot of noir, you've written a number of novels and you wrote something when I was when I was putting together my notes, I I used the term graphic novel which has always bugged me because I don't know exactly what a graphic novel is and then when I went to your website I saw the term comics, which is what I call these things. And I I thought, yeah. "Oh, if I call it comics, I'm not being politically correct and I'm stepping on someone's <laughs> toes. What's the right term here?" <laughs> Is it just old guys like you and me that call these things comics?
1: Yeah, I, I think so, Stephen. I'm always happy to call them comics. I okay. mean, graphic novels are just big comic books, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, no, no. I'm I'm I've been a, lo- a long longtime fan of comics, and in fact, um, uh, just out now is a, an anthology I did not edit, but I have. I'm happy to have a short story in called Asian Pulp. Mm-hmm. In the context of that. That particular collection uh, I talk about um, in fact I just did a uh, there's a little piece running on the on the life sentence site site this great uh, mystery site um, where I talk about being influenced by uh, the old this this is going back to the '60s and, and early 70s the old uh, Nick Fury agent of shield uh, comics that uh, Jim Steranko wrote and drew and it was that was an inspiration for my story in Asian Pulp. so yeah no, I've been a long time comics fan and I'm happy to still keep uh, uh, a toe or two in in those waters. Uh, in fact, I'm working on a, a comic series now that'll be out next year.
0: What's the difference between writing a comic series and and writing a a, a novel series?
1: Well, certainly, as we know, uh, comics are a visual medium, uh, and I've also you know this is this is Hollywood, so we've all written scripts out here, <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but. Um, One of the big differences is uh, comic books, like a film script, uh, you know, is very much about visual cues. Now, unlike a movie script, where you do not take a lot of time to visually describe something, because that's the uh, editor—excuse me—that is the director's job or the set designer's job, unless of course that specific item uh, plays a part in the uh, plot in the in the development of the script. In a comic book, it's the opposite, which is to say, comic book pages are, are uh, broken up between or divided between, when you say panel one, you have to tell the artist, well, what panel 1 so you okay. have to give some you know you have to give uh, a, a a a written breakdown of what's the visual element of panel 1 and then in the con- then also you as the writer are writing then the dialogue and the sound effects that also go and the captions that also go with panel 1 so for you, as a writer, it's kind of a full-blown effort. Now, of course, the artists themselves are storytellers, and so invariably you'll get back from the artist. Maybe that scene doesn't work, or maybe you've crowded in the panel too much. You know, panels are just frozen action, so you can't go overboard. It's not a, it isn't a movie. It isn't a TV show. So you have to show the action. You know, frame by frame, and of course, obviously, you skip ahead in, in certain things, and, and mm-hmm. you move move around because of just the nature of of uh, the comic book, the comic book medium. But man, I, I tell you, uh, I get a real charge. Uh, I, well, as you said earlier, I mean, I th- I just get a real charge out of trying my hand and and being able uh, at this point to uh, do comics, uh, working on a you know in, small little indie film, uh, prose. Uh, what have you, man? I just, I just think it's all part of the of my job as a storyteller to try to, as best as I can, to try to entertain and uh, enthral, uh, you know, the, the audience, the readership, who, you know, whoever that is.
0: Yeah, that's a great term for what you do. You are, you are a storyteller. Let's talk for a little bit about the indie film that you were working on because uh, you've got that on your website, which is gdphillips.com, and I'll link to all this stuff in the show notes. So. If- if you're out there listening while you're exercising or driving, you don't have to write it down. It's all in the show notes. But uh, tell us there about that indie film that, that you did.
1: Well, real, real briefly, um, we did an effort called uh, Midnight Mover, and we well. We were we were constructing it originally as webisodes, so somewhere out there in the ether, there are three uh, kind of ten minute uh, linked episodes uh, webisodes of Midnight Mover, and then and then as, as as it happens in Hollywood, our star actually is getting to be an actual star. I mean, the guy's <laughs> getting big, he's getting he's getting big time work, and I'm not telling tales out of school because he's had this on his website. Uh, Mark mm-hmm. McCullough, uh, he's doing a uh, he was shooting a film with uh, Tom Cruise where he actually had you know lines, and he was like part of Cruz's crew in the context of this movie. I think it's called Mina, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we had the webisodes, and then uh, me and my buddies decided, well, look, let's just do a full-blown uh, uh, feature film, indie feature film, because um we think we got enough there, and and so while that's been on hold because Mark has been busy, uh, we do have the script. I do have the script ready to go. So hopefully, uh, we're looking toward next year uh, when he can be back in town. Uh, where we can uh, essentially take what we've shot already and combine that with uh, newer scenes to make one whole uh, crime drama film.
0: I have a feeling this is the way your life always is. There are probably all these balls up in the air that you're juggling, and you know you're writing this, you're editing that, you're you're putting a team together to work on this. It, it, do I have that right?
1: Yeah, I, I think so, Stephen. I, I think it's you know, but it's the life of the itinerant, <laughs> the itinerant writer, because uh, uh, you know, I'm at a stage in my life where you know our kids are grown. In fact, I'm a I'm a grandfather for all, so I guess I got to keep writing until I die. Uh, but uh, where, it, it, and because you know, we we would, we gotten to a certain stage in life where it's allowed a bit more flexibility in the sense of being able to tackle these different projects. Obviously, mm-hmm. some of these things have got to pay, and they do. Uh, and I, I should mention, I also teach. I teach in the MFA program uh, here at um, uh, Antioch uh, University. Oh,
0: okay. I didn't know that.
1: So uh, I'm always sort of, yeah, got my hand uh, in different pies. But let me say this. I guess it's important to say this. Every, no, I should not say everything projects that I take on I always try to complete those projects or if they get to or if they get to a logical stage where you just can't move further on them so be it. But uh, I try not to be too uh, peripatetic, I suppose, in my approach. That is to say, uh, as I, as I, you know, I always make a little sort of deadline sheet. So I'm always looking at two or three months out uh, what needs to get done, or this short story needs to be needs to happen, or I need to start. In fact, I'm behind on starting this novel I want to get started on. So certain things always get shifted around and moved aside. But I'm always very cognizant that uh, once I take on a project, to the best of my ability, I try to complete that project.
0: That's a good rule for the itinerant storyteller right
1: now. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. That's right. That's
0: right. Gary, where can people buy Day of the Destroyers?
1: Uh, Day of the Destroyers is is actually in um, both comic book shops and in uh, bookstores because it's distributed by uh, Diamond, which is the largest comics distributor now. This is not a. This is not a comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, projects. There's no. There's except for the cover. There's no illustration. It's all prose. But because Moonstone is also a comics company, uh, that's how they got uh, distributed. But yeah, they can get it through uh, through bookshops or comic book shops direct. Which are direct shops or even on uh, Amazon. It's 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 listed there as well.
0: Okay. And what's the best way for, for listeners who are intrigued by this interesting life that you've got to f- to follow you <laughs> and and to know when you've got some new work coming out.
1: Well, as we mentioned, I'm I'm pretty uh, <laughs> I seem to be not reticent. I, I just I just seem to be backward in terms of doing any kind of uh, social media or that kind of stuff. Other than I guess every once in a while I post something on Facebook, um, but I do have a website, gdphillips.com, and and it's actually uh, I, it just as I say, it's it's fairly up to date. Uh, even uh, even as we speak, I just put up a couple of uh, of new posts, and uh, my wife my wife again is the technical genius, so. She's the one that helps. Uh, she's the one that really maintains. And so, uh, yeah. So generally speaking, uh, up on my website are, are usually uh, uh, whatever is new or some interviews, things like that. So yeah, that, that's usually always up there.
0: And it is such a vibrantly colored site. It's just it's fun to just go and look at. It. <laughs>
1: Yeah, just, well, you, always, you know, Steve, you got to have those primary colors. You want those things to pop out at people. Yeah, <laughs> and,
0: and the cover for Day of the Destroyers pops out. That's a that's a beautiful oh, cover. Yeah, Fernando
1: yeah, yeah, for, for did a great, uh, great job, man. It was a wonderful job. Yeah, I was really, uh, really uh, very pleased. We're all really pleased with the cover.
0: Gary, thanks so much. This has been fun.
1: Stephen, thanks for having me, man.
0: It's been a pleasure. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you are an iTunes listener, please subscribe and give us a rating or a review. Those help other readers find great new books like Day of the Destroyers by Gary Phillips. Thanks for listening.